All right, Ministry of Helps lesson number three, the spirit of unity. Uh, We've written this one because unity is so critical to the Ministry of Helps, really to anything in the kingdom. Paul said, God is not the author of confusion. Disunity is confusion. And uh, we write this curriculum and teach it because when you serve in the Ministry of Helps, you're not going to get to pick always who you serve with. So you're going to be around folks you maybe wouldn't run with in social circles. And you choose not to run with them because they got things you don't like. And they got quirks you don't like. And they got idiosyncrasies you don't like. And so you have to be prepared that when you serve maybe on the van ministry or maybe on the worship team together or maybe in the toddler room together, you're going to be around folks you don't like. And you're going to be around people you don't like doing something you don't want to do with kids you don't like, whose parents you don't like, and we got to keep this thing anointed. And so we do that through the spirit of unity. And the Lord designs it this way. He, I believe in the, the providence of God. He just gets you where he wants you, regardless of how much you feel like you're led by the spirit of God, because we're, none of us are just that led by the spirit. And none of us are hearing that much from the spirit because he ain't talking that much. So he just gets us places, and we have to be prepared to be polished I often use the example of a rock polisher, and I had one as a kid, and you basically throw all these rough rocks in this little tumbler, and you throw this different grid of titanium dioxide powder in there, and it just makes this constant commotion for weeks that drives your mother crazy, (laughs) to where it just becomes the background hum of your garage. I'm speaking from experience. But in all that grinding and in all that commotion, it's amazing you open it up, rinse it off, pour the next grit of finer grit powder in there, put the lid on it, throw it back on the tumbler. Before long, they come forth as glass pebbles. They have so beat each other smooth and polished each other, they're beautiful. Whereas before, it was just a bag of gravel. And now you've got beautifully polished agates and gemstones. That's ministry helps. The Lord throws you back there. And he throws titanium dioxide powder back there on you and he just says get along and you have such stress such strife such internal wranglings and gritting of teeth and you know you can't misbehave because you know the pastor will thump you or your department head so it does something sneaky it makes you cry out to God Lord help me I hate them and the Lord says I love them and nobody else in the church has a problem with them but you So what's your problem? And that's ministry of helps. This is like the next step in the ministry of helps. Now that we get you in the ministry of helps, you got to be prepared to be around people that you think, I got to tell you, pastor, I need an appointment. Jesus, I needed a rapture. Honey, we got to talk. This thing is wearing my soul out. And the Lord says that is by design. Because there's always going to be somebody that rubs you raw. You can tell you're polished when you can get around anybody and find common ground and make something work for Jesus. You can tell you've matured when you can get around anybody and adapt to them. Mature people adapt. Mature people don't expect other people to adapt. Mature people adapt and accommodate because we have the bigger words, uh, the bigger arms, the, 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 the more mature stance to hug them with the dangerous end pointing somewhere else and we help them in the kingdom. And so that's what we have to be prepared for with the spirit of unity. No, I, I know full well, you guys are going to have strife, you're going to have grumbling, you have murmuring, 
And I fully expect it. Some folks, are, their hearts are so tender, they get an attitude with somebody, they think they're going to hell. Oh, pastor, I know you probably need to sit me down. I'm so sorry. I can't stand them and I can't make me not stand them. I, Lord, just sit me down. I said, no, no, I fully expect you to hate them. They bug me pretty good too. But, you know, we have to deal with it because God sent them here and we can't run them off. I've tried. So we're going to love them. <laughs> we're going to love them and we're going to serve in the kingdom together. You're not mad at me? No, I fully expect you to get on their nerves and them to get on your nerves. And this is just part of it. And then we have to have the spirit of unity. So Ephesians 4, 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit. Notice it is an endeavor, which in the word endeavor means it's gonna be tricky. It, it isn't just, you know, fall asleep and get her done. It's an endeavor. We have a space shuttle that was named Endeavor. You know, launching space shuttles ain't like driving to Kroger. It's an endeavor every time you send it up. You endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. If we're all bound to the prince of peace, if we can all be quick to forgive, quick to repent, if we can all say, be willing to confess our faults one to another, we can get along with anybody. You ought to be able to get along with anybody. Ministry of Helps will teach you what your limits are, though. And the Ministry of Helps will also teach you where you're a control freak the ministry of helps will teach you where, where you're controlling and where you're kind of selfish. And if you'll, if you'll be observant with it, you'll be able to tell what kind of personality types bug you. And you can even get down to business with the Lord and say, now, why does a really happy person rub me so raw? Why does an anal person rub me so raw? Why is someone such a stickler for the rules rub me so raw? And the Lord may be able to speak to you and say, because you're lawless, because you're not happy and you know it. Uh, be, because you don't, you're not strict and you know it. That's why this rubs you raw. And it'll benefit you. What we do too much as American Christians is we think, well, it's difficult, therefore it must not be God, I quit. And one thing I don't do around here is let anybody quit. Amen. One of the less pleasant aspects of helps ministry is its ability to reveal the selfishness that is still in us as Christians. Helps ministry accomplishes this by placing you around other believers you would probably not ordinarily fellowship with. It is the friction that arises from interacting from someone different than you that will cause your selfishness and carnality to manifest. Anybody that's here active in the ministry helps know exactly what I'm talking about. Please raise your hand. Hi. See? Okay, see, you're not in trouble. You're fulfilling Bible truth. (laughs) Everybody knows what I'm talking about. This selfishness will usually manifest as strife and disunity. And that's why we teach on this lesson as part of our helps. The selfishness that is in us will always manifest as strife and disunity. And really, this is nothing but leftover four-year-old, where you won't share a toy, or I don't like the way you're playing with my toy, so I'm taking it, and I'm going home, and I quit. Except you're not four. You're 44. And it's still in you. <laughs> we want to try to eliminate the, the occurrence of that less and less and less. Unity pleases God and unity is necessary for God to move in our midst. And let me tell you folks, nothing kills the spirit of God quicker than disunity. Nothing will kill the move of God in a service, in a worship service, in a vacation Bible school, on an evangelistic outreach. Can you imagine two people going door to door evangelizing and they get in a fight over who's going to ring the doorbell? But it'll happen. They'll, they'll st- I've been on enough evangelism to watch two people try to fight to be the one to preach the gospel. And they have to shut the door. The mature person will always shut up and let the brat run their mouth. Yeah. 
for the sake of unity, then you shut the door and you say, you need to shut up at the next house. And be serious because they need a rebuke. You're going to end up sending people to hell being a me firster and a know-it-all. You're not in charge here. So just walk behind me, little girl or little boy, whatever they may be. And they're 55 years old, you know. So the big person adapts and accommodates. As a helps minister, you will be tempted to get into strife, chaos, and disunity. It's a, stri- it's a temptation for everybody. It's an absolute temptation. We have to constantly keep it before the Lord in prayer. A church without unity is a chaotic and disorderly church, and this is not the will of God. And Ginger's here. I don't know if we have any other worship leaders here. Ginger knows that the worship team is the best place to see this played out literally on a weekly basis because musicians are like the worst kind of Christian there is. Okay, Kale and Kylie are here. I'm looking at Kel going, wait, he's a musician too. <laughs> Many a preacher for a thousand years has said, Satan's been kicked out of heaven and lands in the worship team. The last thing you do is follow a musician. <laughs> Ginger's one of the best music, probably the best musician I know. I mean, you can see all the instruments she plays. She understands music theory. She writes it all. She plays the piano to write it all. And she says, amen, you never follow a musician because they have a bigger temptation. There's such ego, there's such attitude among that ministry of helps. Now, our, our ministry, our, our worship team is very good because we've hammered it for so many years, but it still creeps up. The pride, the ego, the strife, that's my part. I want to do this song. I want to try it this way. Why can't you get that part right? And without unity and compassion one on another, the sound that comes off the worship team is disgusting. No matter how many thousands of dollars we drop on equipment. And we've dropped lots of money over the years trying to chase the sound. What I have found, again, using the worship team as a helps department, because it would work the same in toddlers, it would work the same on a vacation Bible school, it would work the same on a van ministry. It's just more evident from a worship team because it doesn't matter how much money we have on the sound team, how much mixing we have going on, if there's just one or two sour notes in the heart, it comes out the horns, out the keys, out the vocals, and it doesn't matter how well it's mixed, God doesn't endorse it, God doesn't show up for it, he resists it. It doesn't matter how much money we throw at a vacation Bible school, if there's disunity on our team, it's not gonna prosper. It doesn't matter how much praying we do on an evangelistic outreach, if there's not unity going door to door, God's not gonna honor it. And so we have to strive to keep this unity going. Otherwise, it'll become chaotic and disorderly. I always tell the story, I, I, I was a sound guy before we became pastor. And there was one Sunday morning, you're here before church, doing this praise and worship team and, and, and doing the sound mixing. And uh, there was just a lot of strife. Nobody was in the sanctuary yet. So the worship team has been, this was, this was 10 years ago. They've been together for so long. They can just talk to each other the way they want to, like family, I guess. They just feel comfortable doing it. And it was just carnal. A lot of those people are gone now. But at that time, it was just carnal, bickering and quarreling. And one of the singers was like, I'm not singing it. That's not the song I want to sing. And I'm not going to sing it this morning. I mean, can you imagine? That's why you don't follow musicians. They're fruitcakes. They are artsy, fartsy, and they think everybody should have their style. And you're like, just shut up and serve God. Otherwise, we'll just put a track on. Give me CD five, song number four, and hit repeat for 30 minutes, and God will show up. This is where Pastor Vaughn said, we love you, and we can use you, but we don't need you. Musicians think they're God's gift. Jesus is God's gift. Everything else is disposable. So I was back there in the sound team going, oh, my gosh, I've never seen 
this. And then the other sound guy leans over and says, you see that up there, Chris? I said, yeah. He said, there's more flesh up there than at a Weight Watchers convention. <laughs> I remember like that, like that was yesterday. There's more flesh up there. <laughs> yes, there is. And no, they went through song after song, and we were mixing everything, and it was horrible. And I thought, well, there goes the service. We're dead. We're dead in the water. And honestly, one of those sassy musicians got so mad, they just stormed off and didn't come back to church. Just abandoned the worship team. And come worship time, it was amazing. That was the source of strife. And they did all the same songs, and it was anointed. I changed nothing on the mix, and God showed up and made all the difference. Because you put out the strife, you put out the scorner, and all the chaos and the strife ceases. You're perfectly biblical to cast people out when they're a source of strife. Musicians are often the worst. We stay on top of our musicians around here. We hammer them. It's nothing to call a meeting and rebuke them all publicly to each other and just to keep them humble. Because you cannot forget musicians, well, they were first Satan. Satan was the first musician. Satan was the first worship member, worship leader, and he's kind of held a grudge. He's been bitter ever since. He gets his way into people's lives any way he can after that. That's why musicians, you just pray for them and say, thank God I'm not one. Yeah, because they dress weird, they act weird. They... <laughs> I've had to pastor them for eight years. Yeah. This is not the will of God. Chaos and disorder is not the will of God. He desires that all things be done decently and in order. One of the hardest things, I guess we're going to hammer musicians a little bit, is to teach a musician that they are servants. They're not bosses, they're servants. A good worship team, a good church, we did this, and then I'm so glad I heard Dr. Barclay say it, a good worship team gets their songs from their pastor. They don't pick their own songs because what do they know about what's gonna happen Sunday morning? So we've done that around here for years. Amy will text me the song list Thursday, and on a regular basis, I say, not this one, not this one's not gonna work for Sunday morning. How do you know? I'm the pastor. God's already talking to me about Sunday morning. These songs aren't going to work. So replace these two. So the songs we do tomorrow, I saw yesterday, and I probably tweaked them, said this is not going to work tomorrow. And you know what the servant says? Okay, how about this one? That'll fit. That'll work. Awesome. When you let musicians pick songs, they get weird. They get their weird emotions coming out of them. They get their weird emotions coming out of the guitar. And, and musicians are so weird, they want to put their weird in you. Did you know worship time is a time of discipleship? And whatever's in them comes out of the music and gets in you quicker than if I teach it. That's why you can still sing songs from when you were four. That's why a lot of Christian doctrine is based on the dumb music we heard in the 70s and 80s. All right, I got to go on. Enough of the worship team stuff. <laughs> Psalm 133, one. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. Uh, David goes on to say, it is like the oil that was poured on Aaron's beard, or Aaron's head that ran down his beard and soaked his garments that flowed together. Unity brings the anointing of God. When brethren dwell together in unity, it brings the anointing oil and it flows together and saturates the whole body. It doesn't just stop at the head. David goes on in Psalm 133 to say, it runs down the beard and runs down the garments and down the arms and the legs. When we're in unity, it allows the spirit of God to flow and touch the whole body. God cannot move in the midst of disunity, but evil can. James 3.16, for where there's envy, which is the Greek word jealousy, and strife or conflict, 
there is confusion in every evil work. Please keep that in mind when your heart wants to get jealous, when your heart wants to get or conflictious, or they want to get to where you just want to rock the boat, that this brings about confusion in every evil work. We want to be careful we keep the evil work out of a church service or out of a helps department. What makes a good work an evil work is when you get a sour attitude on whatever you're doing for the kingdom. That good work instantly becomes an evil work because of jealousy, strife, conflict, agitation. You go from being perfectly a good door greeter to an evil one. Why do I got a door greet? It's the third time this month I got a door greet. I'd rather just sit down and contribute nothing to the kingdom. They ought to be glad I'm even here. Why they got to ask me? I'm stupid. Hi, welcome to Engrafted Church. We are so glad you're here. Oh, would you? Yeah, you hypocrite. <laughs> Two-faced. If there's disunity in a local church body, the Bible says there's confusion and every and evil working there. The number one thing God will want to deal with in that church is the disorder. God can't stand disorder. You know, you get home, for normal people, you get home, your house is a mess, it bugs you. Now, Upper Cumberland people, you get home, your house is a mess, it's okay. This is Upper Cumberland. I pick on our region because I'm here to change the culture. But for normal people that love God and have the, the, the harmony of God the cosmos, as the Greek calls it, the harmonious, organized life working in them that the Bible says is required to be a bishop. The cosmotic, cos- where we get the word cosmos, organized, harmonious, a system of living. When you get home, your house is a mess. You say, all right, kids, we got to pick this house up. It's a dump. You got to get the organization there. God's the same way. He shows up into his house on Sunday morning. The first thing he's going to do is straighten up the disorder. Amen. Because that's what God does. He's not the author of confusion. He's the author of peace. He wants things organized. If the church will not submit to the word and find unity, the spirit of God will move on from the church until they are willing to repent. We've seen it again at the worship team. The worship team doesn't have unity. God doesn't show up for worship. He shows up when the preacher takes the pulpit. And what does the preacher do? Deal with the worship. <laughs> Sorry, guys. My service just went out the window. My sermon is toast. We've got to deal with disunity and pride in musicians this morning. And a good pastor keeps his musicians straight because they are the sled dogs that pull the sleigh into the presence of God. And if the dogs are pulling in every direction and they're biting at each other, the sleigh goes nowhere. And the sled master gets off it. And don't you know he has a whip in his hand? And don't you know he grabs each dog like sled dog racers do and pops them or whips them? Straighten that up. Or I'm cutting you free and we'll replace you. You don't know it works that that works that way. Our job is to get into the presence of God every service. If it's not working, we're changing something. Amen. That's the other thing. I guess we're dealing with musicians. They feel an entitlement. Because I have a gift, I must be used. <laughs> really? If Satan's not being used, he still has tabrets and horns and pipes in him. God ain't using them. He's singing the song of the damned. Puts it in a lot of modern Christian music too. Oh, I'm trying to stick with our curriculum. I'm really, really just trying to teach this morning and not pastor, but just teach. The church that never repents will become a dead, dry religious assembly. Or now in charismatic circles, it'll become an abode of familiar spirits. And they'll have all sorts of weird stuff operating there. So let's look at some symptoms of disunity here. Complaining. Let me tell you something I heard that really offended me. I heard it said 
uh, part of it I appreciate, but not the total heart. We, we travel a lot. And somebody told one of our elders, they said, I'm so glad, the, the elder said, I'm so glad pastor's coming back so that we don't have to preach anymore. It's a lot of stress on the guys to preach and cover for pastor. You know, you can fill his pulpit and never fill the shoes kind of thing. And somebody in our church said, yeah, me too. I'm kind of tired of hearing people practice. And I thought, now the elder was wise enough not to tell me because we'd have one less church member because I take such offense to that because that means they got nothing out of that preaching. And I listen to most of the CDs that go on here and I'm just, I'm blessed by what gets taught and preached around here because we don't just put anybody in the pulpit. They got giftings. They're actually serving God. They're doing something in private. So to have this attitude, that's a complaint. Yeah, I'm glad pastors hurry up coming off the mission field too because I'm tired of listening to these preachers who just have to practice. You think this is practice? Man, that's immature. That's disunity. And even, but you know, honestly, some of our, our ministers have told us, Pastor, I kind of get the sense that they're just judging me to make sure I'm doing a good job. And this is not a food tasting competition. This is sit back, shut up, and eat. <laughs> and God will feed you. That, that's disunity. It's not raw complaining like, it's too cold in here. It's too hot in here. I don't like the color of these walls. These chairs aren't comfortable. Brown, I don't like brown. Beige, where's the purple lights? We need purple lights. Don't you know God don't show up unless you got smoke machine and purple lights? No, you have purple lights in a smoke machine because God don't show up anymore. <laughs> Complaining, it's too hard. They ask too much of us. They're always preaching against my sin. They actually expect us to come into every service. I didn't like the worship. It's too loud. It's too soft. It's too long. It's too this. It's too that. Blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. Sheep go ba, ba, ba. They don't go blah, blah, blah. Your blah, blah, blah falls on deaf ears. I am just the provocative enough pastor. If I hear you complaining, I'm going to keep something the same. I've done it all the time done it since day one we, we used to we've over the years we've rotated different people doing announcements and and doing uh tithes and offerings marlon used to do it for several years marlon did marlon's a hoot to do it we may get him back up there again to do offering because he's just hysterical and one of our jezebels it's always women women are the most complaining bunch in the upper cumberland men have never complained to me they just they just know how to take orders and march As women they think they can come around and schmooze the preacher but this Jezzy, she, she pulled me aside and, and she said, you know, pastor, I love you and we're so glad you're our pastor and, and we love what you're doing here. It's like, I feel butter going up and down my backside. <laughs> Can't believe it. Is that margarine? Can't believe it's not butter. <laughs> and I said, so in my heart, I'm going, all right, what do you want? What do you want, Jezzy? What do you want, Jezzy? She said, well, you know, have you thought about maybe using somebody else other than Marlon to do announcements? Because, you know, he just really gets on some people's nerves. Which says mine, my nerves. And I said, I hadn't thought about that. But now that you mention it, you know what would be a good idea? I'm just going to keep him up there for the next two or three years. She honestly left the church not long after that. It wasn't just over Marlon. It was mostly me. <laughs> but, you complain I'm liable to keep it the same just to keep polishing you. Because chances are you're the first person to complain about it, which means you're the one with the rub spot. Amen. <laughs> now, I'll listen to folks that are faithful, and I'll listen to folks that have a good heart. I'll listen to folks that contribute because they probably have something genuine to say. Most folks, though, they just complain because they're miserable and they think it's somebody else's fault. 
But when you're you're miserable, it's your fault. Nobody else's fault. So don't try to control me to make you happy. Control yourself. Blah, blah, blah. Murmuring. Murmuring in in the original language is a lack of thanksgiving. So if you give thanks a lot, you're not gonna murmur. When you're thankful for your church, you're not gonna pick it apart. When you're thankful for your car, you're not gonna pick it apart. When you're thankful for your job, you're not gonna pick it apart. You don't have to be a control freak putting your hand on it. You're just thankful you're not going to hell. You're thankful you got a job. You're thankful you got clothes. You're thankful you got a church family. You're thankful God has a place for you. You don't care if it's done right or not. I'm just doing what I was told. Just thankful to be told to do something. The world tells me to do something every day and it's never pleasant. This at least builds the kingdom. I don't care. Just tell me what to do. But murmuring, it means a sour belly. What'd you feed on last night that you had to come in and control the house of God? It's funny, I pray about this church every day. I live under the burden of it. The Lord hasn't told me to adjust that yet. Then again, I don't have a sour belly. Not always against a person, but sometimes you murmur about a situation or a circumstance. What, it, what does he think? He, who does he think he is? I don't think it's right. I liked it better at my old church. We'll go back. Road still runs that way. I mean, the highway, the road's still open. It's not like a one-lane road. In that case, just, you know, swerve off and oncoming traffic comes and get back there. I'm sure they don't miss you. <laughs> I told one pastor, we, we lost a church family to their church, and I called him up, and I said, uh, said, hey, I want you to know one of my families is over at your church. He said, yeah, I noticed that. He said, what can you tell me about them? I said, I'm glad they're with you and they're not with me anymore. He said, gee, thanks a lot. I said, just being honest. <laughs> Strife and discord. This is quarreling among the brethren. You may not do these things, but be careful to get around those that, that do. Be careful when they start running their mouth. Help them. Provoke them to better works. Tell them, look, let's stop complaining here. You could be in jail tonight. Do you have a better idea? Or is it this that you're just this controlling? We try to really keep a tight grip on this in this church because it kills the spirit of God. Just the bellyache and the sour belly. If you have to, just stop and say, well, you know what? It's a little chilly in here, but at least it ain't ISIS. At least they're not crucifying my little girl tomorrow. At least they're not raping my wife tomorrow. I mean, it is a little chilly and that's really hard on my first world fat flesh, but at least they're not cutting my kid's head off tomorrow. We've gone a little late, but at least they're not executing me in 30 minutes. That'll really help keep all things relative. (laughs) Quarreling among the brethren. I refuse to work with them or even sit by them because I'm a carnal, abject reprobate with control issues. It's like ad libs. Just fill in the truth. (laughs) And it's going to be your fault and not theirs. Amen. (laughs) And I always say this. Just remember, if somebody gets on your nerves, everybody around them likes them but you. So the thing that's getting on your nerves is not a them issue, it's probably a you issue, and that's why the Lord has the two of you together. There's the example in, the, in, in old, ancient stone masonry, they put the two massive block, foundation blocks together, and they rub them together to see where they would touch, and where they would touch, they would rub and produce a friction, and you could pull them apart, and the high spots would rub, and the, the master stone cutter would chisel those down. Then he'd push them together and make them rub, and finally, you, you could see where the high spots were. You could see where the rough spots were because they would grate on each other. When you finally got them perfectly smooth like they could do in Egypt and ancient Israel, you put them together, they rub, no new friction, no powder, no rub spots. They had worked each other down. 
But the Lord, I promise you in, this, in the ministry helps, the Lord's going to put you next to somebody that exposes your high spots. And he's going to let you work it out. I don't have to be the one to point it out. Wherever you feel rubbed, wherever you don't like somebody, that's the person you need to pray for and get around more for your own benefit. Amen. Gossip. Ooh, we hate gossip around here. Gossip literally means repeating a matter. Where Christians get into trouble is they justify it because gossip, by definition, is truth. It's just unauthorized repetition of that truth. You're not authorized to repeat that matter, or you're repeating it with a bad heart. Did you hear so-and-so's getting a divorce? Well, the truth is they are. But what's the heart behind talking about it? To rejoice over their failed marriage? Or are we talking about it because you know them and you care about them and we need to pray for them and maybe we can get and intervene and help this situation? It is a transmitter of truth. A gossiper is a transmitter of truth. It's a fact that is repeated but with the wrong motive and the wrong heart. One of the things Pastor Vaughn used to teach is that if you don't have the authority to fix it, you shouldn't talk about it. If you talk about it to somebody who can fix it, it's not gossip. And we have kind of gotten into a ditch sometimes. We don't like gossip, so bad stuff happens around the ministry of helps, and I don't find out about it because nobody wants to gossip or tattle. But if you're telling it to somebody, the department head or the elder or the deacon or me who can fix it, that's not gossip. We're just passing along information so we can fix things. Slander. Slander is, uh, often attacks the character. This is an outright lie. This is an, an, usually a falsehood, and it's spread to ruin one's reputation. This thing, if it goes on in my church, I'll stand you up publicly, and I'll expose you, and I'll, I'll put you out if you don't repent on the spot. I got no place for slander. Gossip, you got a little bit of a fudge room there for because, you know, you're judging your heart. I need to talk about it, but I'm not wanting to run anybody down. And there's, there's some gray area there. Slander, patently false, designed to ruin a person's reputation. It is demonic. The Greek word basically means you're equal to Satan. Accuser of the brethren, satanos. Yeah, slander, the accuser of the brethren, false accusation. Backbiting, this is malicious talk about someone who's not present. This can go on, uh, usually the ladies are the most guilty about this. They get together there in the bed babies, the little tots, and they're not watching their kids like they're supposed to be doing. They get to henpecking and... And they just henpeck somebody to death. That's backbiting. That's disunity. We try to keep you busy back there with kids in prayer, not backbiting. So if you're back there and you see some backbiting or you feel uncomfortable, just say, shut up. Let's pray in tongues. If you can't run your mouth decent English, pray in tongues. Make something decent come out of that thing. Nosiness. Mind your own business. Don't be a busybody. The Bible really condemns this. Actually, the word in Timothy for busybody is a sorcery. It's witchcraft. Let me find that real quick. I teach that from time to time just to help clean up the American woman. Busy bodies. Yeah, 1 Timothy 5.13 says, with all they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house and not only idle, but tattlers also busy bodies. Busy bodies translated magical art in Acts 19.19. Sorcery, witchcraft. You go stick in your nose someplace that doesn't belong, you may get a demon <clears throat> dabbling in the magic arts. That's disunity. It's none of your business. How about church skipping? And I, now, I wrote this curriculum years ago. I updated it last year. So church skipping is disunity because unity means we're unity of vision. So you skip church, you're a, I would say, a disingenuous Christian. That means you're not genuine. 
Now, I understand we miss church for work from time to time. We miss church because we got to travel. We take a family vacation. But food or oversleeping, or as I say, deer season, then the race is on, man, that, that is not a reason to skip church. That's disunity. You're not unified with the vision, nor may you ever be, because you obviously are more unified to hunt deer. I curse your gun. I curse your deer stand. May you go to get on your deer stand and just collapse before you can be hurt. May your gun jam. May the deer smell you. May the deer say, psst, psst. you see that idiot up in the tree over there? Yeah. He doesn't think we can see him, but we can see him. I can, yeah, you see that angel there pointing him out saying, run away, run away? Yeah. There's a story in the Bible about a donkey that could see angels. I think it's happening to us right now. Somebody must be praying against this backslidden Christian. Let's run. Let's go this way. <laughs> I pray the deer never come near your deer stand when you're skipping God. Feed your flesh. Church skipping is disunity. Romans 16, 17. Mark them which cause divisions and offenses. It's a Greek word scandalon or scandal. Contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. So what that tells us is that we're to avoid people that complain all the time and don't adjust. We're to avoid people that murmur all the time and don't adjust. We're to avoid people that sow discord and strife and don't adjust. We're to avoid gossipers. We're to avoid shun slanderers. We're to shun backbiters. We're to shun nosy people. You have a right to rebuke these folks. Ephesians says, uh, rebuke these works of darkness. Reprove them. We're too polite as Southerners sometimes. And it's a false politeness because it's a polite to the face and then a slander to the back. I like the Yankees and I like the Germans and I like the Russians. They just tell you like it is to your face. And we as Southerners, we, we don't, we've never been told the truth to our face our whole life. We've just been lying to each other called pleasantry and Southern courtesy. I love the Yankees because they just tell you, I think you're stupid and your breath smells. Let's go get some pizza. Southerners... How y'all doing? Y'all get some pizza and some sweet tea? And then you get home. I had pizza and sweet tea with this guy. He was the stupidest thing I ever did saw. And his breath smelled like manui. I'd much rather have the Yankee just hit me in the face and then take me out for pizza. than the Southerner take me out for pizza then stab me in the back. I think we can appreciate that. I'm a Southerner. I, I know our contradictions. God is very much about unity. You almost, have to, you almost want to shun church skippers, but I think church skippers shun us. So they're kind of doing it themselves. Wonder why they don't fit in. You got to show up to fit in. I don't have a place here. You have a place, it's just always cold because you never sit in it and warm it. <laughs> Let us look at areas where we must strive for unity in our local church. Unity of vision. I'm going to have to run through this quick. Local pastors are the visionaries, just like the boss is, just like the fire chief is, just like the sheriff is. Whoever the singular executive leader is, that's the visionary. They have the vision for their church. God speaks to the pastor of the local flock and reveals to him that what the will and direction of God is for that ministry. If you're not the pastor, you will not have the vision for the local church. Instead, you are called to help the pastor fulfill his vision. Habakkuk 2.2 says, The Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain upon tables, that he may change it, erase it, edit it, and correct it when he reads it and disagrees with it. Preach it right. You read it, you run with it. You got two jobs, read and run. Not read and edit, not read and tweak, not read and chisel, not read and erase, read and run. If you don't agree with it, don't run with it. Go someplace else. It don't skin off my back. Where there is no vision, the people perish. 
They go backwards. The Hebrew says they cast off restraint. So you need a vision. You need a direction. Your life gets better. One billboard on the way to Nashville says, I demand excellence, you excel. The Upper Cumberland, from Jamestown down to Tullahoma, Mount Eagle, Swanee, most backwards place I've ever been in my entire life. There's no excellence here. We have an engineering university for 100 years now. 2015 is the 100-year anniversary of Tennessee Polytechnic Institute, TTU now. We're still backwards. Yeah, you need a vision so you don't go backwards. Leave it up to Possum Holler and Rocky Top. And you need an interpreter because you're in a third world nation. Enjoying third world poverty. Sixth poorest city in the country we are here in Cookville. Sixth poorest. Three taxi cab services we confirmed this week. And we're still trying to get with the police to figure out how many taxis. How come a town of 35,000 needs three taxi cab services? Because people are too poor to afford an old car. Amen. Two contrasting visions produces die vision. God will not send you to a local church that you can force your own vision upon it. That, they tried to do that a couple times with me. Word got out to the demon realm. They haven't sent anybody that stupid in a couple years now. We usually run them off in a service or two. The longest one took four months. I said, Lord, why did it take four months for me to run them off? Why didn't you show me what they were about? And the Lord said, if I'd have, he told me in prayer, if I'd have showed you what they were about the first time you saw them, you'd have run them off then. I said, I sure would have. He said, I wanted to give them a chance to repent. So he hid it from me because he knew I'd have run them off because they wanted to take over the church because they had started and failed several churches. They were really good at starting churches and failing churches. So they thought they'd steal an established church. They don't understand. They're not faithful. They don't have it on their own. They're not going to have it because it's established. They'll sink the thing. It's very rude and rebellious to try to force your own vision upon a church. The local church is where you will be proven faithful over another man's vision so that the Lord can give you your own vision and calling. God calls you to a local church that you can help that leader fulfill the vision God has given him. Read his vision and run with it. Don't read his vision, then add to it or murmur against it saying, well, I ain't no so sure about that. Also, your pastor has the right to show you how to help him with his vision. Amen. <laughs> I've had so many. It's always women. It's always middle-aged white women. <sighs> now my wife is becoming one of those middle-aged. She's always been white. Now she's becoming middle-aged. <laughs> but it's always been the middle-aged white women. They want to come in and think they got a better way. And I usually have to tell them, you know, when they get real sassy, how long have you pastored this church? Oh, you don't. How long did you pastor the church where you came from? Oh, you didn't pastor that one. So what is it you know exactly about pastoring? Honey, let me help you. I've been doing really good without you up until now. I don't think I need you now. One lady I said, I got a pastor. His name is not you. Go away. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> unity of purpose. So unity of vision. You got to find the vision of the church the Lord calls you to because you're called to help there. Unity of purpose. We must, find, must be unified in our purpose for going to church. Are you going to church to find a mate? You don't go to church to find a mate. You go to church to serve Jesus. He'll bring you a mate. Are you going to church to promote your business? If I find that out, I'll tell everybody to stay away from you. Are you going to church to steal sheep? When we smell that out, we'll thump that publicly too. Are you going for political game? We don't have politicians in our church because we don't permit politicking in our church. They all go to the big churches because there's bigger people there. There's a better voter base there. So they don't really go to church for Jesus. Even though they might be spirit-filled, they go to church for political base. I call them shallow Christians. 
Or do you go to church to learn about Jesus and how, he can better, how you can better please, serve, and glorify him? Philippians 2.2 2 in the Amplified, fill up and complete my joy by living in harmony and being of the same mind and one in purpose, having the same love, being in full accord and of one harmonious mind and intention. We, we are pretty simple around here at Engrafted Word Church. We believe in evangelism. Our mission is to win the lost and those that we win, we make disciples out of. We do that through television. We do that through pod school. We do that through uh, nursing home ministry, jail ministry. We believe in world missions. I believe every Christian ought to be on the mission field once in their life. It's pretty simple. It's, it's pretty laser focused. We're not like a disco ball with lights going in every direction. We're pretty fine-tuned. We've spent 30-something years fine-tuning the vision, and we're not going to tweak it. And we're not going to put up some kind of little refractor, some little prism, and refract the thing to be cooler. Find the vision. Be unified in that purpose. Folks will say, why, why don't you have a dance ministry? Because I don't believe in a dance ministry. Because the Lord's never told me to have a dance ministry. Plus, do you know how many guys will get into lust if we put girls up here in leotards and tutus? And as Pastor Vaughn would point out, you know, Mr. Wendell is a big guy. Dance ministries never let somebody like Wendell dance in a leotard. <laughs> you know, nobody wants to see a dude in a unitard. Because the dudes don't want to see that and it grosses the women out. So who do they always put? The young women in unitards. So the men that struggle with lust can defile themselves against their own will in the house of God. I have no room for a dance ministry, period. Because I care about the men of God in my church who struggle with lust. If you want to go dance, go pay money somewhere, but you're not going to do it in the house of God for free at the cost of one of my men's souls. That's selfish. All that is is drama making its way into the church to hurt people. Amen. So we'll never have a dance ministry or a tutu ministry. Now, years ago, I was going to have Wendell come in dancing with butterfly wings when Josh Barkley was here, and we were going to play the song, Take These Broken Wings, and he was going to be making fun of the Detroit Red Wings, but Josh Barkley went and preached on the names of God so hard, the power of God fell, and it was such a holy presence. I get up to take the pulpit, and Wendell's ready to come dancing in a tutu and little wings, and the guys are ready to play the old song from the 80s, Take These Broken Wings, and I'm like, not going to fit. We'll grieve God and I will be in trouble with the Lord for months. And I'm looking at the door, Wendell, back down. <laughs> unity, one harmonious mind and intention. There is strength in unity and when the church is united in purpose, that purpose will be powerfully accomplished. Make sure that your purposes and intentions are biblical and that they glorify Jesus Christ. Let's make sure we're going to church for the right reasons. Unity of faith, no church has perfect doctrine. We do not have perfect doctrine. The Baptists don't have perfect doctrine. Word of faith don't have perfect doctrine. Church of God, no, nobody's got the market on doctrine but Jesus Christ. And even he, he taught it and he'd say, again, I have to say unto you, how long must I be with you? They still weren't hearing it perfectly. We are still working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But it is important that you agree with your pastor's doctrine. You must trust him. That doesn't mean you agree with everything. I can teach something and say, I'm not so sure about that. But don't let that spoil your heart. If, you, if it really bugs you, come and talk to me. Because chances are, if you don't agree with it, I might have miscommunicated. We had a guest minister one time, and he taught something that we didn't agree with. And I could feel the whole church tighten up on him. And we, we love this minister. I could feel the whole church tighten up on him. And we went out to dinner afterwards, and uh, he, said, he said, is everything okay tonight? I said, yeah. He said, I, I could feel your church recoil when I said this. And I said, yeah, yeah. And then his wife said, 
because you said it stupidly, honey. You did not communicate it. I could feel them tighten up. Why did you not explain that even deeper? You just violated everything we believe. He said, yeah, I did, didn't I? He said, tell your church I'm sorry. I said, they won't think about it. They'll just go on. And we've had them in since, and you've loved them since. So no, you just communicate sometimes. But don't let it settle in your heart to separate you. You know, may, maybe you said something, mis, mis, you just miscommunicated, missaid it, maybe it didn't come across clear. You have that, uh, that opportunity. Furthermore, if it's something we just preach once, throw it away. But if we're saying it over and over again, and you don't agree with it, that's where you got to judge things. If we're always talking about evangelism, you don't agree with it. If we always talk about once saved, always saved, and how you may not be once saved, always saved, and you don't agree with it, and it bugs you, you may need to do something about it. We pray in tongues, you don't agree with it, we're not going to change on tongues. You're going to have to do something about that. Either say, I love the church with everything but this, and just kind of compartmentalize it. But the point is this. If you don't trust our ability to teach, you've got to find a church that you can trust what's coming down the food line. Because it's exhausting to be nervous about every meal that's served. It's exhausting to say, is this corn safe to eat? Is this fish, has this fish been cooked properly? Is this steak okay? That's exhausting. Don't be here. Go find a church where you can just relax and just, you know, like a baby bird, just, oh, yeah, <laughs> just let it be. Just pour it into your mouth like the soft serve ice cream. <laughs> if you have a problem with that, you know, come to, I've had folks come to you and say, Pastor, you've got to clarify what you said. I don't know if, I've, if I see that. I've had many Bible studies in my office clarifying things. Feel free to come and talk to me. One, one person said, they told one of our members, I watch your pastor on television. I agree with about 99% of what he says. And I said, she's doing better than me. I only agree with about 90% of what I say because half, you know, 10% of every service, like, why did I say that? I could have said that better. I might be at 94, 95%, but I'm always tweaking something. I always come away saying, I, I didn't. I need to study that a little bit better. You must trust your pastor, otherwise he will not be able to teach you the things you don't know. Ephesians 4.13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith. Notice there, unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect or a mature man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Amos 3.3, 3, can two walk together except they be agreed? Pastors are given to help perfect us and develop us until we come into the unity of the faith. If you don't agree with the doctrine being taught, something must change. Either your heart will change or where you go to church will change. There is a proper way to leave a church. You don't abandon it. Don't be a Demas who forsook Paul. Either way, don't allow your mouth to become a sass bucket of disagreement. I get to pray once a month with about 10 to 20 pastors of all different denominations and we all come in there and we all say this, we agree on 98% of everything in the Bible. We're not gonna focus on the 2% that don't really matter. And there's Church of Christ, there's Baptist, there's Methodist, there's Episcopal, there's Pentecostal, there's me. Yeah, we just don't care. And we joke about it. You tongue talkers, I said, you Church of Christ water guys. And we can have fun with it. And yet when you get down to the 98%, we're all trying to do the same thing. Win the lost, make disciples, and hasten the coming of the Lord and change our community. We are all, all of us want revival in our community because all of us can see this community is messed up. So we can, who cares about tongues at that point? Who cares about water baptism at that point? Who cares about music in a church service or not at that point? As long as we're doing the word. The power of unity. All right, wrapping it up here. There is great strength, anointing, and power in unity. Acts 2.1. And two, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all 
quarreling, bickering, and striving in one place, and it was called a denominational Sunday morning service. Half of them were late, three of them didn't show up because they overslept and didn't bother to wake up in time, and suddenly God moved with a mighty revival that kick-started the church. No, but that's how it goes any given Sunday. They were all with one accord in one place. They were all present and accounted for, sir. The 120 in the upper room, been there for 50 days, seeking God, obedient. How do they take care of their home business? They made it work. I'm so glad they were there, and I'm sure those that showed up or this was their off day because I've been here for 50 days, I need a break. And the Holy Ghost, maybe the Holy Ghost was waiting for that person to leave. And the anointing says, whoo, been waiting for that strife bucket to go home, now we can move. It took one accord and one place for the Holy Ghost to move. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. I teased Daryl Curley. He doesn't miss hardly any church, but when he does, we always have a Holy Ghost service. It's always wild. And, and Daryl always calls me, and he says, how was service, Pastor? I said, another move of the Holy Ghost. Just want to thank you for leaving. <laughs> Appreciate you taking that vacation or going to that family reunion or whatever God called you away for. Apparently the Lord felt like he could move. Ha ha, pastor. <laughs> it just always happens that way. So maybe when you guys see Daryl tomorrow, say, Mr. Curl, do you mind missing church tonight? Because we want a move of God. <laughs> the early believers were united first. Then the Holy Spirit came. Revival starts with unity in the local church. Revival starts with unity in the local church. The last great revival we saw in America was the Brownsville Revival, and it came out of months and months of unified prayer, asking for God to reveal himself. Unity. Folks praying around the clock at that Assemblies of God church. And God poured out a revival that lasted six or seven years because they were unified. Folks were showing up. If you don't show up, you can't be a part of it. Let me add this, because part of helps is showing up. I've learned from my pastors, if you're called to a church... Every service happens with you in mind. And when you skip, you're missing distributions and deposits and giftings the Lord had present for you and you weren't there to get it, which is your fault. So we have the advent of digital technology. You can get the flash drive, you can get the CD, you can get the pod school later or the podcast if we do that. But you're still responsible for what went forth. And I remember being a younger man and watching my pastor Darren be so frustrated, complained to me as his, as his young youth pastor. And he'd say, Chris, it makes me so angry when folks skip church for useless reasons and I have their answer and I preach their answer that Sunday night or that Wednesday night or that Sunday morning and they want to meet with me concerning the very thing I preached to them. And I tell them the same thing every time. Where were you Wednesday night? The Lord spoke to me about you and I stayed on target. I stayed on my message and you weren't there to get it. Get the CD or those days tapes because I'm not meeting with you. You couldn't give me two hours of your time. I'm not giving you an hour of mine. At some point, this church has to grow up. So when you do have to miss for work, vacation, sickness, we get that. We're streaming now. Get the CD. I still marvel. When you work in ministry of helps and you miss a service, we give the CDs for free. I still marvel how many helps leaders don't get the services they miss. When I was in Bible school, I was in Bible school every Monday night. 
So that's Dr. Sumrall. I was getting Pastor Vaughn tapes three and four a week. Listen to those every week. I was in a local church in the ministry of help serving in those services three times a week. And I was doing my own Bible study. So I was listening to three and four tapes from here. I was doing my home church three and four services a week. And I was in Dr. Sumrall's Bible school three and four and five hours a week and my own Bible time. You can make it work if you're hungry for it. Yesterday we had Indian for lunch. If you don't like Indian food, you should be born again or get outside meat and potatoes. But my wife and I have learned this about Indian food. It's so good and yet so greasy. You're on a time limit before your stomach gets full. We've gone there for dates for years. We don't have a date at the Indian place. We have a shoveling contest. You just shovel it in until, because before long, your stomach looks like a little Indian stomach. It just pooches out and you can't fill anymore. But you try to get as much in there because you're hungry for it. What this tells me is that we got folks even in this church that are hungry for the will of God or the word of God because they can miss and not feel it. That's terrifying. I can, I've complained to Dr. Barclay. He has conferences March, September, December, March. And I've complained to him, I said, Pastor, I, I need a conference like April, May, June, something like that. He said, we used to have, we used to do 12 conferences a year. He said, but it's a lot of work. I said, well, I need something in between March and September. I, I, I need a refreshing. I can't believe Christians just skip and not even feel it. It means you're not really full of God. You know, because if you're just this much full and you're down, you don't recognize it. But when you're this full of God and your battery comes this low, you can feel it. Amen. Can you imagine God blessing a strife club? No. Keys to maintaining unity. And we'll take another break. Here are some important keys to maintaining unity. Be a servant. Prefer your brother. Don't be argumentative. Don't be a know-it-all. That just, shoot. You are a know-it-all. What do you really think you know? Know-it-all. Most know-it-alls do it nothing. Don't dominate every conversation. Some people, man, they just... They got to share everything they know, every conversation. They're close talkers. They're all up in your space. And I say, your opinion is not benefiting your life. Why are you giving it to me? Don't dominate every conversation. Ask somebody their opinion. Ask somebody how they feel. Conversations are two-way roads. If, if you're not letting them talk, you're not having a conversation. You're lecturing. <laughs> you know, some folks are just this way. That's not a key to unity. Don't be self-promoting. Some folks, it's always about them. And then finally, pray, pray, pray. Keys to unity. Pray, pray, pray. Father, we thank you for this third lesson on the ministry of helps in the spirit of unity. I pray unity in my church. I pray unity in the hearts of these believers. And I pray a great hunger and a desire for unity at any cost without compromising your word. In Jesus' name, amen.